We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw, what, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. All right, you may all be seated. Good morning. Welcome again to Resurrection Oakland. My name is Dave. I am one of the pastors here, and I'm excited uh, to have the opportunity to share good news with you from God's word this morning. Let's, would you join me in a word of prayer? Our Father in heaven, the good news that we are all about to hear and that I am about to share doesn't belong to any of us. It belongs to you. And so we pray that you would send your spirit into our hearts to speak to us in a personal way. You alone know us completely. 
And so, Father, we pray that you would speak good news into our hearts, that it would drown out all the bad news that we see in the world, the bad news that other people tell us, the bad news that we tell ourselves, that we would hear and receive good news from you in Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last December, a professional basketball player named Thomas Bryant went up for a rebound. A rebound is when you go up to catch a missed basketball shot. And he attacked this basketball hoop with ferocity. He elevated, he grabbed the ball one-handed, and he dunked it, uh, which was impressive. The problem was that he dunked it on his own hoop, scoring for the other team. Uh, and so that's what you call a good basketball play, but not a faithful one. <laughs> Faithfulness is all about doing good to the right people for the right reasons. When someone does something good, faithfulness asks, whom is this good for? Uh, why was this done? Who benefits from this good? Uh, goodness without faithfulness really is not good at all. And this is important for us to consider because you could spend your whole life trying to be good only to discover that you are good for to all the wrong things, to all the wrong people, for all the wrong reasons. And so today, we're looking at a parable, which is a story with a spiritual lesson, a parable that Jesus teaches us about being good and faithful. And the main message of this parable is you cannot be good and faithful to anyone else unless you are first good and faithful to God. And he uses this story of a master and his three servants to illustrate this for us. So we're going to break down this parable by looking at three things. We're going to look at the good servants. There's two of them. We're going to look at the wicked servant. And then we're going to look at the good and faithful master. So let's start by looking at the good servants, these two good servants. Jesus begins this parable by telling us about a master. Uh, he says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. And he goes on and he tells us about these three servants, and two of them are good. And how do we know that these servants are good? We know that they're good because the master tells us that they're good. Now, this should strike us because we live in a culture that resists the idea that there can be one master who tells everyone what is good or what is bad, what is right or what is wrong. People say things like, that's right for you, but it's not right for me. Uh, we believe that everyone has the right to decide for themselves what is good or bad, right or wrong, as long as they are not bothering anyone else. In fact, one of the worst things that you could do today is to talk to other people about your own morality, your moral views. But here's the thing. If there, if, if, if there are a lot of different masters saying what is right and wrong, that just means that there is no master and that there is no right or wrong. Consider Jesus' story. Imagine if all the servants in the stories were not actually servants, but masters. What if they were not dealing with their master's money, but their own money? Who could say that anything that they did was right or wrong, good or bad? 
They could have lost all their money. They could have made money. They could have just buried their money. Whatever they did, no one could say a thing because it's their own money. Jesus is telling us the story to show us that we need a master to tell us what right or wrong is because morality always begins with a master. It's good to do your best to increase your master's money because your master tells you it's good. It's bad to sit and do nothing with the master's money because the master tells you it's bad. There's a theologian named Leslie Newbegin, and he says this, if I do not know the purpose for which human life was designed, I have no basis for saying that any kind of human lifestyle is good or bad. What Newbegin is saying is that we can't know anything is good or bad unless we understand our purpose, unless we were created with a purpose, unless there is a God who designed a purpose for every single one of us. This past Thursday, a 17-year-old boy, you probably, some of you may have read about this in the news, a 17-year-old boy was getting food on 55th and International uh, at a food truck and when he got into an argument with a group of other people and then got shot. I don't know what they were arguing about. I don't know who was in the right or the wrong in that argument, but one thing I do know, you do not end arguments by shooting people. And I suspect most of you agree with me. Why is that? Why is it that something like this is wrong? Uh, deep down, we know it's wrong. Why? Is it just a matter of opinion? Does the value of this young boy's life hang in the balance based on popular opinion? Or is there something intrinsically wrong with violently taking away or threatening someone else's life? Was the shooting wrong because we think it's wrong, or is it wrong because it's not the way that God wanted it to be? What made the good servants in this story good was that the master told them that they were good. One servant had five bags of gold, the other servant had two bags of gold, and the, the Greek word translated bag of gold here in this passage means half a year's income. And so this was a large sum of money. The money could have improved their lives significantly. They could have used that money themselves, but instead they worked hard at it in, in increasing their master's wealth. And this would have been hard and risky because anybody who's tried to make money knows that you take huge risks when you try to make money. Doubling this large sum of money was hard, it was risky, but they did it. They took risks, they worked hard, they persevered because they loved their master. And that's so evident when you look at what the master says to these good servants. And it's the craziest thing. Did you notice in verses 21 and 23, after the master returns and he finds out that these good servants doubled his money, he tells them, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he says, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. The master rewards his servants with more work. He doesn't give them a time off. He says, take a break. You earned this, right? He says, let me give you more. Why? Because for a good and faithful servant, the greatest reward is the joy of your master. For a good and faithful servant, you do what you do, not for your own gain, but for your master's gain. Not for your own good, for your master's good. The act of serving the master that they loved 
was the greatest reward they could ever possess. These servants loved their master. They delighted in their master's joy. They, they shared in their master's success. And so true goodness and true faithfulness can have no other reward than the joy of God. Why is it so hard sometimes to do the right thing? Why is it so hard to do something good even though we should? It's because Jesus is suggesting that we do not find God rewarding enough. This brings us to the wicked servant. The wicked servant didn't steal his master's money. He didn't squander his master's money. All he did was keep his master's money safe. He buried it in the ground, which was the way people, that was the, that, that was the bank in, in, of the ancient world. When, when you wanted to keep your money safe, you buried it to keep it safe from thieves and looters. And so on the surface, this servant doesn't really look that bad. He might have been able to work harder to increase his master's money, but it's not like he did anything unethical with the money. Maybe he was too careful. Maybe he could have taken more risks, but wicked? What makes this servant wicked? At the end of the parable, what's even more shocking is that the master has this wicked servant thrown out into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is clearly a metaphor for hell. This is the most disturbing part of this parable. Maybe, maybe this servant deserved a little bit more accountability. Maybe he deserved a bad review at his next performance review. But thrown into the outer darkness with there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, how is that fair? This story would have been so much easier to swallow if the wicked servant was more obviously wicked. Maybe it would make sense if he stole the money and took off with it, or if he spent it on himself, or if he just lost it because he's careless and irresponsible. But all he did was keep the money safe. What is so wrong with that? Jesus could have made this wicked servant so much more obviously wicked, but he chose not to. Why? It's because Jesus wants us to understand that wickedness is never as obvious as we think it is. And it's the wickedness that is not obvious, the faithlessness that we cannot see, that's the faithlessness, that's the wickedness that destroys us all. So the wicked servant's problem really was not his money management skills, it was his lack of faithfulness. Because when you read the story, it's clear this person did not trust his master. When he buried that money away, he wasn't doing it for his master, he was doing it for himself. Listen to what he says about his master. It's clear that he resents his master. He calls his master a hard man, and he tells his master that you reap where you do not sow and gather where you scattered no seed. This servant is telling his master, you're just using me. You don't care about me. You're not faithful to me. Why should I be faithful to you? Why should I put my neck on the line for you? That's why the wicked servant was so afraid of failure. Did you notice how terrified of failure he was? He said, I was afraid, and I went and hid your gold in the ground. 
He was afraid. What would his master do if he lost his money? What would his master do if he made an unwise decision? He didn't trust his master. He didn't think that his master was good. He thought he had a wicked and faithless master, and so he acted as anyone in his position would do. He acted in his own interest. When his master returned, he had no idea that he was going to be thrown into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He would have done something differently. He probably wouldn't have stayed around if he thought that was what gonna, what, that, that's what was going to happen. He probably thought that he was a good and faithful servant, or at the very least, that he was an okay servant. But to his horror, his master returned, saw him for who he was, called him out, and called him a wicked servant. And so this parable answers everyone who's ever wondered if God lets people into heaven if they just live a good life. And it's challenging and it's difficult because what Jesus is suggesting is that morality is not about keeping rules or being good at doing something, but morality hinges on a relationship. That morality is relational. That you can't be good and faithless that goodness is married together with faithfulness. Jesus shows us that a Christian is not someone who says they believe in God and tries their best to be an okay person, a decent person. A Christian is someone who delights in serving God. And if there is a God, he is master of us all. We owe him everything, and our ultimate purpose in life is to share in God's joy. Some of you might be feeling a little bit uncomfortable right now. And maybe you're feeling uncomfortable even as the scripture was being read. Maybe you're wondering what in the world is Dave saying? Is he saying that I'm going to hell? (laughs) Right? Let me assure you I am not. And Jesus is not. Because the point of this parable is not to make us question ourselves. The point of this parable is actually to make us question Jesus. Let me explain as we look at the last point today, the good and faithful master. Jesus' parable challenges us to ask what kind of master God is. Is the master good or is the master evil? Was was, Was the master in this parable the generous and inspiring master that the good and faithful servant saw, or was the master in this parable the wicked and faithless master that the wicked servant saw? That's the critical question. What kind of master is God? If Jesus is good and faithful, we owe him everything. And if Jesus is not, then we should just walk away. And so if you are unconvinced about the claims of Christianity, I'm so glad that you're here. And let me, let me just suggest that the first place to start with God is not to figure out whether you agree or disagree with everything that the Bible has to say about life or your life or about the world. The first place to begin is asking, is God good and faithful? Is Jesus good and faithful? Does his goodness and faithfulness make sense? 
There are all sorts of things that the Bible challenges us with, and there are some things that I am still figuring out myself as a pastor. You could spend your entire life studying the Bible, wrestling with difficult and lofty theological ideas, and still not be sure, but the goodness and faithfulness of Jesus is not hard to understand. What kind of master is Jesus? He's the sort of master who dies to save even the most wicked of his servants. Because for Jesus, the cross was a place of darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because when Jesus died on the cross, it was not just a physical agony, but it was a spiritual and emotional agony because Jesus was taking on himself the judgment that we all deserve. Jesus was cast out by his father like a worthless servant, but Jesus is not worthless. He is the perfect human being, the perfect servant, the most loving, the most humble, the most generous, the most gracious, the most courageous person that any of us could ever know. In Jesus, God declares to you that he refuses to be good by himself, and that he's resolved to be faithful to you no matter the cost. That means even when you run away from him, even when you mess up your life and mess up all the plans that God has for you, even when you are at your worst, that there is a way into his unconditional love and his unconditional acceptance. I was talking to somebody this past week from church She was telling me this incredible story about how God had been faithful to her over and over again in the most hopeless and darkest of times. And God is doing an incredible work in her life right now, changing her life in incredible ways. God is pursuing her, but she's still afraid that she's going to do it again. She's going to run again. She's going to mess up. She is not good enough. And maybe that's how some of you are feeling this morning as well. Maybe the one thing holding you back from putting your faith in Jesus is you feel like you're not good enough. Maybe you have no faith in yourself. Maybe you can't believe that you could actually change or that things can actually get better. Maybe you've convinced yourself that you will never be a good or faithful servant to God. And here's here's what Jesus is challenging you to do in this parable. Stop looking at yourself. Stop asking if you are a good and faithful servant. Look at Jesus and ask if he is a good and faithful master. Because if he is a good and faithful master, he will not let you fail. No matter how many times you turn away from him, he will receive you into his arms. And he will love you and accept you and forgive you and equip you to take the next step toward faithfulness to him. You can lose all his gold. You can mess up his life. You can be more wicked than you ever thought you could be. But he will never stop loving you because he is good and faithful and his goodness and faithfulness is bigger than your wickedness could ever be. My dad passed away 24 years ago and I'll never forget the the day he he passed away. Uh, My pastor visited me and my mom in the hospital where he, he passed. And he prayed, and, and I remember distinctly he opened the prayer saying, Father, we praise you because even now your beloved son is hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. 
And I don't remember anything else he said that day. I don't remember any other part of my, that prayer, but I remember that part of the prayer because I, I was, it, was, it was both comforting and confusing. I was in my early 20s, and I thought, I don't think my pastor knows my dad very well. Like he, was, he was a good person, but he wasn't a saint. He was complicated. He had, he had, he had beautiful, he did beautiful things, and he did a bunch of stuff that he regretted. Um, I, I thought that those words, good and faithful servant, were re- reserved for missionaries and, and, and heroes of the faith, people that you read about in books. But my dad was an ordinary, broken man with weaknesses and flaws. I thought, my pastor doesn't know my dad really well, but I came to see that it wasn't about my dad at all. My pastor prayed that prayer because he knew Jesus really well. And when you stand before Jesus, the good and faithful master, he doesn't demand perfection. He demands faith and repentance. All you need is your need of him. All you need is the ability to say, I am not good and faithful. I have messed this up big time, but you are good and faithful, and I believe you. I take you at your word, and I believe just for the sake of your mercy, because that's who you are, because you are merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love, because this is who you are. You will receive me and call me good and faithful even though I don't deserve it. You have a good and faithful master in Jesus. You can never exhaust his love. He will never get tired of all the times that you slip and fall. If you turn to Jesus, your good and faithful master, he will always receive you with joy and say, well done, good and faithful servant. We all have treasure that we bury in the dirt. Parts of our lives that we don't want to hand over to God. And those buried treasures are not obvious to us. But if Jesus is a good and faithful master, uncovering those treasures is the most liberating and most gracious and most loving thing that anyone could ever do for you. And that's what he wants for you. He wants you to share in his joy joy over you because he is good and he is faithful and the more you see his goodness the more you see his faithfulness the more it will inspire you to live of good goodness and faithfulness to god goodness and faithfulness to one another goodness and faithfulness to your city goodness and faithfulness to the least of these who do not deserve it, to share the goodness and faithfulness of your good and faithful Savior with the world. That's what this table represents. It's the table of a good and faithful master. In this bread, in this wine, Jesus is inviting you to feast. He is expressing his approval over you, Through the bread, through the wine, he is calling you good and faithful servants. He's saying, come and share in my joy, share in this feast that I've prepared for you. And so even though you may not feel like you deserve it, it is here for you 
because it depends on his goodness, his faithfulness, not yours. And so on the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Eat of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. You pray with me. Father, we thank you for this bread, this wine, for the body of Christ broken for us, for the blood of Jesus shed for us. And we thank you that it is not a meal that we need to earn, that there is nothing we can do to prove that we belong, but you invite us into this place out of your unconditional love, your costly love. We praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us, and so we pray that as we eat and drink that you would strengthen our faith. Help us to believe that we are truly free to try, to fail, and to seek after you over and over again. Because no matter what you do, you will never stop loving us. You will never stop being faithful to us. Help us to believe that, Lord. and Help us to taste that here at this table. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.